Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Is Iowa State the last chance that the Big 12 has to knock Texas out of the running for the college football playoff? Maybe the Big 12 championship game. Also, too, can your boy rebound from the worst week of picks of the season against the spread? That's all coming up on today's show. This is the Big 12 Watch. I am your host, Josh Neighbors. This is Crystal Ball College Football, the channel, part of the 365 Sports Network. You all can find this show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find it here on YouTube, like the video, subscribe to the channel. If you all would do so, that would help us out a lot when you guys do that. So uh, please do all of those things. Help us grow this show uh, and like the video, subscribe to the channel. Let us know your thoughts on what we're breaking down. So this is our weekend preview. I bumped it because yesterday we had some stuff to get to when it came to um, conference realignment and whatnot, and you all can revisit all that with Oregon State and Washington State, hoping they land on their feet and with some cash in hand as well. But this is another Big 12 weekend, and I'll tell you guys what. So I'm 34-25 and 25 now after an 0-6 week. I'm 34-25 and 25 against the spread. I watch basically every Big 12 game every weekend. And I'll, I'll tell you what, as somebody who's felt really good about a field for the league, last week I had a, I, I didn't feel great about the games. And obviously that showed. But I think what's compelling about the league is the fact that, hey, I didn't feel very good about uh, you know, a lot of these games because they felt competitive and close and the spots were interesting. And the results kind of bared that out, right? I mean, the results were all over the place. And so I think we enter another week where that feeling is the same about, hey, what's going to happen now? I've got some more strong leans this week than I have in past weeks. So uh, I'm going to share those with you, obviously, as we go through these games today. But I think that's the thing about this is you're seeing the competitive nature of this league very much come out in these last couple weeks of the season. So let's get to this Big 12 Saturday menu because there's a whole lot. Look, Texas sits top of the league right now. Four teams sit tied for second place. This week, the conference rules came into question. The league's current rules state record against the next highest placed uh, a, a common opponent in the standings based on record in all games played within the conference uh, proceeding to the standings. The issue there is that Oklahoma and K-State don't play each other this year which meant the league couldn't turn the round-robin record portion of the tiebreaker with Oklahoma State and the other two. So a clarification was reportedly on agenda on the agenda for the Wednesday meeting, um, and the Sooners were unaware of that until George Stoya of Sooner Scoop said this. Other schools didn't know it either, Stoya said, so it's kind of strange in nature of this. Quote, I was told by multiple people at multiple different schools that they were unaware that this was even something that was going to be discussed. Stoya told Eddie Radosevich and Andy Staples on Andy's on three show. He goes, my takeaway from all this is the big 12. I mean, it's probably harsh, but they're run by morons right now. It's kind of a clown show. 
And the fact that we're even talking about this, and that no one's like double check that, like you said, Andy didn't even make uh, the comment in the sentence, whatever. Now I will say this is spilled milk from a Sooner fan, uh, you know, crying over spilled milk. That is true. But also too, the league is on the hook here for not having their rules as clear as possible. That is the problem, right? So on Wednesday's call, the Big 12 announced the clarification of its current rule, confirming that head-to-head wins takes precedence. However, a second sentence wasn't on the initial September 1 rule, Stoya said. In the event of a multiple-team tie, head-to-head wins take precedence, the release said. If all the tied teams are not common opponents, the tied team that defeated each of the other tied teams earns a championship berth. Well, guess who that is? Oklahoma State and Stillwater, you would enjoy that clarification because that one obviously helps you all the most. If Oklahoma State is tied with Kansas State and Oklahoma, they get the berth. That is plain. That is simple. And also, to me, it does make some sense, right? I do have to think that does make a little bit of sense. But the problem was they're clarifying that too late, right? This should not be clarified right now. Um, There have been no rule changes to any Big 12 rules regarding a Big 12 football tiebreaker, which we agreed upon prior to the season uh, on the 23rd of August. So there is some confusion here about this, but there is clarification now that we get in the end. Uh, It's a Saturday 7 I'm showing you all right now, so we'll switch over to the Big 12 schedule, the Big 12 menu, but them's the rules, folks. So um, if you have the multi-tiebreaker, you are in very, very good shape. Oklahoma State, you're welcome. This is your Big 12 Saturday menu at 11 a.m. on ABC. It is going to be Oklahoma and BYU at 1.30 on ESPN+. Plus. It's Cincinnati and West Virginia, 2.30 on the plus. It's Baylor and TCU at 3 o'clock on ESPN2. It's Oklahoma State and Houston at 4 o'clock on FS2. It's UCF and Texas Tech. At 6 on FS1, it's K-State and Kansas. At 7 on Fox, it's Texas and Iowa State. So let's begin. We go through the day on this show. We schedule, you know, we 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 break down the schedule as a schedule. So 11 a.m. is where we begin. Oklahoma and BYU. Um, BYU has fallen off a cliff. I'm not going to spend too much time on this game. They've had to go to Retzlaff, the backup quarterback. Slovis has not been good, but I think Retzlaff struggles expose the fact this offense just isn't very good. And um, they kind of almost needed Keaton Slovis to make this thing at times an average offense. Oklahoma is coming in here, obviously off of a win to improve their chances at being in the Big 12 championship game. They are going to need another win. They housed West Virginia last week, 59-20. to They are playing well. The problem for them is, as I just discussed in the tiebreaker, they need some help. But I do believe we're going to see an Oklahoma route. Also, the fact that this game is at 11 a.m. Central Time, that makes it obviously uh, 10 a.m. Mountain Time. That is not good. And I'm, it's not like BYU fans are out there getting liquored up and they're out there, you know, drinking a ton and, and getting ready to go. It's a very good crowd. But obviously, the 10 a.m. local start time does stymie a bit of the ability to 
get excited, get ready, and kind of get going for a game happening once again at 11 a.m. 1.30 on ESPN+. Plus. Cincinnati is coming off a win as they take on West Virginia, who is coming off of a loss. Here's what I'll say about this game, folks, and I feel pretty confidently about this contest. The last couple weeks, I believe Cincinnati has actually covered, um, and I've been betting against them all season long. I did it again last week. I have no reservations about doing it again this week. I had to make the mid-podcast tea. The voice is just... We're, guys, we're, we're going through it right now. We really are. Uh, that change of weather will get you. I mean, I know we have it all across Big 12 country, um, but it will get to you. So West Virginia coming off that loss uh, last week, like you think this is a really good spot for them to rebound because their offense was not very impressive and their defense got smashed. Now they need to make sure up front is where they take care of things because, you know, this is a Cincinnati team that can put a pretty good effort on you running the football. That's what they want to do, right? They want to run the ball and they want to have Emory Jones, the best of his ability, take care of things. But I do think that this is going to be becoming a budding rivalry, right? Cincinnati against West Virginia. It's a hopeful rivalry, I think, for us, um, you know, for a lot of us in Big 12 country. And so it's kind of the first iteration of this game. And to me, this is a game that Neil Brown has to have, right? I feel decent about his chances of saving his job. But I do think overall, like if this is going to be as big of a statement season as it looks like it could be, and guys, it very much could be a statement season right now, um, they need to win this game. With Cincinnati and at Baylor left on the schedule, West Virginia has a legitimate shot at eight wins. And if you, if you get to a bowl game, depending on who your opponent is and whatnot, I mean, you've got a real shot at nine, right? And I would say that eight wins in a regular season would be that drastic thing that we called for that would cause Neil Brown to keep his job, right? Or, you know, I mean, like I thought he'd even get there with seven at this point just because the way the team's developed, but eight is kind of the stamp it. Now, don't give him an extension. Let's not do that. But, you know, we do have to reevaluate a lot of the things that we thought about him at West Virginia because he has built something here and he needs to keep building upon that if he wants to maintain the job. I like West Virginia's advantages here. They have been able all season long to bounce back pretty well. They had the back-to-back losing streak, and they took care of UCF and BYU after losing consecutive games. They were able to – I mean, they they ripped off winning streaks after every loss they've had this year. So I like their chances to start a new winning streak in this game against Cincinnati. At 2.30 on the plus as well, Baylor and TCU. You know, I'm not going to offer too much analysis about this game. The, the big thought I want to offer here is this. When you go back, I'll remember this, I remember this game so well. When you go back to the week before Thanksgiving, and you go back to last season, and I remember watching the end of this game. I was in D.C. visiting my brother and watching this game in the moment, the moments, plural, that this thing brought and the unbelievable swings of emotion and Baylor's opportunity to do something special against TCU in a season where TCU was doing special things in the fire drill field goal and the team that won the Big 12 championship in 21, you know, uh, on the beating the Big 12 favorite in 2022 at that point in time. Um, and where we are now with both of these programs, TCU, much less of a drop off point, but Baylor. It just seems like it was a one-year thing. And you look at what Dave Aranda 
has not accomplished outside of that one season, man, it's been difficult. And Sonny Dykes, I'm not saying he's heading that direction, but still big 12 championship in year number, uh, uh, you know, one for him. And what followed Dave Aranda's big 12 championship? Well, it was a bad season, right? It was a bad performance or an average season. And it got even worse. I don't think that's in the cards, the TCU Horn Frogs, but I think as a parallel and as an anecdote, that's something that we should mention. I feel like TCU should be favored. I feel like TCU should win, but this game is more of a representation of what's happened to teams and kind of the up and down nature of this league. And look, guys, to be honest, it, it's got it's this game gives me a little bit of negativity because it makes me realize and think about like, man, we need a Utah. We need somebody in this league that can year after year perform at a certain level and uh, potentially carry that flag forward when it comes to fighting the other best teams in the country. Because, you know, um, while the competition level and the turnover is what makes the Big 12 exciting, uh, TCU knocked off Michigan last year. Michigan's back this year and has got a really good chance to win the entire thing. And you look at where TCU is like TCU and Oklahoma state and those schools, you know, they TCU might've beaten Michigan, but they want to be more like Michigan, right? You want to be there consistently and you want to keep your coaches and be able to hire good coaches and turn over talent and develop players. But these schools like Baylor and TCU need to get there and they're not there. And uh, I know it's a big jump to get to, but, and that's where you want to go, right? That's where you want to go. What's on the line here next at, at three o'clock on ESPN two. I mean, we just talked about it earlier on in the show about the pursuit of a big 12 championship, despite the fact that Oklahoma state gets clubbed last week, they are still in pursuit of a big 12 championship. They still hold all of the cards as they travel to Houston. Now for the Houston Cougars, this is do or die time. When you're talking about them trying to make a bowl game, this line has now dropped to six and a half at a lot of shops. I'll tell you what here. The big question is, can um, Oklahoma State shake off the cobwebs of last week? And I'm wondering, can they start fast? I want to see a team that comes out and starts really well. And the big key for them is, can you do that on offense? Houston is not a team that does particularly well against the rush. They're 10th in the league. And against the pass, they're 11th in the league. So this is not a team that has been really barnstorming. They're 13th in defensive efficiency overall against the run. And then in the conference overall, they're not very good either. So this is a Houston team that's leaking oil. I once again still like Donovan Smith, and I think Donovan Smith has got a chance to be a force in this league next year. But I'm wondering... How bought in is this Houston team? They lost to Cincinnati last week, and they lost that game at home. And so that's disturbing to me. Now, Dana Holgerson's teams have been able to get up for to you know for some big games, right? They got up for that game against West Virginia on a Thursday night. They got up for that game earlier in the season against UTSA. They got up in that game against Texas. That was a loss, obviously, right? But there have been some one-way traffic contests at Texas Tech. They were up for a half. Kansas State, they weren't up at all. Last week was not a really strong, motivated effort. And so that's why handicapping Houston games is hard because you don't really know which version of the Houston Cougars is going to show up for you. They're inconsistent on offense and defense. They don't really have much of a running game to speak of. And so that's what concerns you overall for Houston. 
I think you like Oklahoma State's chance, but man, you feel weird about laying anything around a touchdown after their performance last week. Credit to weather and also I think UCF too in terms of ability and talent. Like they've got some more, they've got better players in my opinion uh, at a lot of the skill positions. You know, it's funny we we saw what um, Dana Holgerson said this week about some of their players and some schools contacting guys, especially Matthew Golden, who's been fantastic this year for them at wide receiver. Um, you know, them reaching out and wanting to, to pick guys off. Um, I'm wondering about those conversations too, and about Dana's security. So just too many questions surrounding Houston this week, but maybe an, I mean, it's, it's either feast or famine. It feels like for the Houston Cougars. So that's why betting on their games becomes very challenging. Four o'clock on Fox sports Two. It's Texas tech who is rounding into form, I guess, in terms of results, maybe they're taking on UCF, right? Texas Tech at home in this game. We're talking about a bowl game, which I think is huge for them. Um, this is a big contest. And to me, momentum takes different forms, right? So when we talked about the momentum of Texas Tech's program as a whole, right? If you look at the Texas Tech season by season results, all right? So season by season. The one thing I was skeptical of about Texas Tech football was this, this season. I was skeptical of their ability to put together multiple um, good seasons or, or be a contender this year because they had not yet put together a bunch of good seasons, right? The one thing that we saw Mike Leach do very effectively was this, and I'll go through the seasons. Seven and six, seven and five, nine and five, eight and five, eight and four, nine and three, eight and five, nine and four, 11 and two, nine and four, right? Tommy Tupperville, eight and five, five and seven, eight and five. Cliff Kingsbury, eight and five, four and eight, seven and six, five and seven, six and seven, five and seven. Matt Wells, four and eight, four and six, seven and six, Joey McGuire, eight and five, right? So the one thing Mike Leach did well and Spike Dykes did the same thing too. If you look at Spike's late run, six and five, five and six, six and six, six and six, nine and three, seven and five, six and five, seven and five, six and five. To be a successful coach, to reach the next level, what Texas Tech needs to do is you need to start putting together bowl seasons in a row. And that's what Mike Leach did very, very well. And so that's why I was skeptical of Texas Tech's ability to climb all the way up. So at that same token, while eight and five is what they did last year, and they still have a shot at eight and five right now, even if they go seven and six this year, right? Um, they still have a chance to be on the right trajectory because I think with all the quarterback injuries and whatnot, like they've shown some development when it comes to what they're producing on the field because they're doing things like running the football, right? They're running the football effectively. I know Taj Brooks can't be there forever anymore. Uh, we'd love to see them in there. Obviously he's had, you know, he's had a bunch of really good performances, but you've got a guy like Cameron Valdez who ran for 9.4 carry in limited action last year, but he's at 6.5 per carry this year. And so that's a guy that could be your next bell cow back that you could run. And what was the issue for Tech earlier in the season? The issue for Texas Tech was the speed and pace with which they were playing matched with the ineffectiveness of the run game was causing them to get in spots where the three and outs were a bit too fast. There was no maintenance of possession, and it caused them to start banging games out in a uh, NBA style where it was you'd score 17, then give up 17. You score 10, give up 10. And they're still doing a bit of that now, 
but it's a bit different. Like if Texas tech gets the ball back late in the game, I feel like Texas tech could have, and they actually haven't in the last couple games, but I feel like Texas tech could maybe run the clock out on you, right? They can maybe hold the ball a bit longer than you would like to see. And that's a new feature of their offense. And so I think Baron Morton's the guy moving forward, obviously for them past this season, it's kind of time for him to take over this thing full bore him be the guy. Right. And so I'm wondering like, is this program developing right now? They're five and five, four and three overall. They've got a five and five UCF team coming off a big win athletically in the outside. UCF is in really good spot, but can they stop the run this week on the road? They were able to last week. Also, they created a bunch of turnovers that interception Baron Morton threw last week against Kansas. They cannot be doing that kind of stuff again. So I want to see which side takes care of the ball. I think whichever team takes care of the football better wins this game. And to be honest, guys, it's actually like I'm more excited about that game than I am about Oklahoma state and Houston just for both teams. I think there's a bit more at stake. And also, hey, man, we've got Oklahoma Bowl eligible. We've got West Virginia Bowl eligible. We've got Oklahoma State Bowl eligible. We've got uh, one of these two teams is going to be bowl eligible. So that gets us five. K-State Bowl eligible, Kansas Bowl eligible, Texas Bowl eligible, Iowa State Bowl eligible, right? So after this weekend, we will be at nine and with an opportunity for BYU to get to 10, maybe an opportunity for TCU to make it 11, maybe an opportunity for UCF, the loser of that game, to make it 12, right? I'm not sure it's going to work out perfectly because all of these teams play. Houston's going to have a chance maybe as well too, depending on their results. So getting teams to bowl games, getting team success, obviously that's exciting here too. The Sunflower Showdown. K-State takes on Kansas. We got a big piece of news on Thursday Jalen Daniels is returning to Kansas. Now, this is a big story, but also, too, um, you know, for a guy that wants to go to the NFL and has some hopes, he's got some stuff he needs to improve upon. He also needs to show NFL scouts that he's healthy because these back issues, which follow him back to previous seasons, obviously are a huge marker. Now, the big thing is here. Jalen's going to maintain a year of eligibility. So um, he's got three games played right now. He's got a red shirt that he can use, obviously. And so Jalen has played 2020, 2021, 22, and then 23. But if you say injury red shirt in 23 and the 20 season doesn't count, then Jalen's got two more years of eligibility. That's a four-year player. And once again, appearances in four years but it's a four-year player who's got an opportunity to really help elevate your program and not just elevate your program, but maintain where they are now, right? Because eventually, you know, um, Devin Neal is going to go to the NFL. And I would not be surprised if Devin Neal goes this year. He is a junior, but he's going to have that option. And I think that's something that, you know, hey, you might explore, right? High carry amount for a guy like that. Daniel Highshaw, an opportunity who, for a guy who's a sophomore, uh, he's played three seasons, but he's going to have an opportunity to go to the next level as well, too. Some of the receivers are going to do that, too. So they've got these guys that need to maintain and keep these guys in the program as long as possible. So having Jalen's going to be big. When it comes to this game, you know, I'm skeptical because the one thing that you're worried about here, obviously, is um, Jason Bean with the injury. Now, he took a bunch of reps uh, at Wednesday's practice, right? But 
this just concerns me because I think K-State's going to be locked in. And there's a couple of these games in the Big 12 where it's actually been a hammer and nail type situation. You know, when I think about physically the last couple of years, uh, uh, Texas has had a major physical advantage on K-State, right? That has been a huge part of what Texas has been able to do. And K-State has not been able to overcome that. They almost did this year, but much of that was by Texas's own doing. If you look at the results of the Sunflower Showdown and, uh, you know, year by year what's happened in this game, this has been a whole lot of one-way traffic. Kansas has not won this game since 2008. And you look at these scores, guys, 20-point win last year, 25-point win before, 30-point uh, win the year before. It's actually a 40-point win the year, 41, 28, 4, 10, 15. I mean, this is a lot of one-way traffic, right? It's been a lot of this. The big issue here being the fact that it just hasn't gone their way with the injuries too starts to concern you just a little bit, right? It starts to concern you. And look, I thought Kansas with a third-string quarterback fought really hard last week. I don't think they get dinged too much for that result, right? They, they hung in there. And I, I actually give both teams credit in that game. Texas Tech for getting the big stops in the red zone. That's where Kansas's offense has struggled. And KU for fighting all the way back. All right. But K-State, to me, just the better team at this point, um, at this point in time due to health, right, and where they are. And just overall about like where the offense is. Like I think that the two-quarterback thing, it's there. It's effective. But Will Howard has kind of rounded back into form and taken this thing over. And if you look at this stretch, uh, ever since that loss to Oklahoma, I mean, even the loss in there to Oklahoma State, like, man, K-State's got three one-score losses this year, guys. And the games that were not one-score losses, 45-0, 42-13 over a good Troy team, 44-31 over UCF, 38-21, 41-3, 41-0, and 59-25. So in games where you feel like they've got an advantage, and Oklahoma State game's kind of the exception here, K-State's been really good. In the games, in the games where it is more even, they um, or you know there's a physical advantage the other way, they do lose. Right now, the Missouri game, you know, like Missouri's really good, and they lost by three. Oklahoma State turns out they're really good off a of bye week, only lost by eight in a game that they were terrible in, and they were terrible in the Texas game too. So they have the ability to even play well when they don't. Kansas needs to be about as good as possible. Like if you are making more mistakes against K uh, against K state, you're going to be in some trouble. Now I do think there's some opportunities to make some plays in the secondary here. Do you think this is a good playmaking secondary against this Kansas attack against the state attack? Um, and I'm wondering what the run stop in looks like. This is a very good opportunity in my opinion to see what the Kansas rush defense can do. It's ninth in the league in terms of conference-only stats. So that's an area where K-State, with the third-best rushing offense, can really hit them. And also, too, red zone conversions will be a big deal, and I trust K-State a lot more. I, I think because of that, you kind of trust them to cover that 7.5 number, especially while health is a factor. You really have to think that. It all culminates to a Saturday night where Iowa State and Texas will play in a game that – Folks, it really feels like this is the chance, right? It really feels like if you're going to say, um, you know, hey, what's the best opportunity uh, for a team to take out Texas and knock them out of CFP contention, 
this is the moment. This is kind of the game here. Um, three of the last four seasons, Iowa State has won this game. Iowa State should have won the game last year and was not able to. And also, guys, this has been a very close game. You even go back to 2017. It was 17 to 7. 2018, 24, 10. 2019, 23, 21. 2020 was 23, 20. Um, 30 to 7 and 21. And last year, 24, 21, right? So this is a series in which Iowa State has had a lot of recent success. It is a game that Matt Campbell, as the head coach, has won three times, right? And so um, you're wondering, like, okay, what does Iowa State need to do to win this game? Now, they need to throw the football. Iowa State, at times, has attempted to run the rock. They can't do it very effectively. It's not a good rushing offense. And guys against Texas, you might as well not even try, right? That team has been immense. That team has been significant, I think, is the way to say, um, you know, up front this year, the efforts that we've seen from this team at Texas. They have been so good. Iowa State's defense, they're second in the league in rushing defense against the pass. They've been a bit more vulnerable and they have not played as many good passing defenses. So I'm interested to see what happens here. Also, too, this is where Jonathan Brooks out for the year comes into play because on the road, you'd like to trust that guy. But on the road now, they're going to have to go ask Quinn Ewers to make some big throws. And maybe they can still run the ball. C.J. Baxter is a very capable player and now kind of gets his Kodak moment, right? This is his chance to shine. Um, but when it comes to offensively, like Iowa State, they can't play, man. It's just time to, to sack up and throw the football. And they've had a pretty decent passing offense. I think Rocco Becht has been improving. Also, too, we know that Iowa State has actually got some decent receivers, right? We know that guys like Jaden Higgins is a playmaker. Jalen Knoll is a playmaker, too. They're going to need to use those guys in the passing game because the rushing attack for them has been stymied at times, and they're going to need Rocco Beck to play his best game. But I think we trust the fact that John Haycock and company will have something cooked up. I, I, expe I expect aggression, and guys, Jack Trice is not an easy place to play. I'm expecting a dogfight because the back end of Texas defense is a weakness. And also, too, guys, Texas, while better in close games, has been in a lot more close games than they should have. Should the game against Kansas State have been close? No. But was it? Yes. Should the game against TCU have been close? No. But was it? Yes. Right? And so these games have been close. Is Texas the best team in the Big 12? Yes. But I thought that back end of the season would be interesting because they'd be getting every single team's best effort. They've been kind of quelling those best efforts. It's their issues and their mistakes that have popped back up, popped back up and made these games more competitive. And that's the one thing about some of these programs they're playing is like they capitalize. K-State got real close in the game. They were badly outplayed in. TCU made this thing a one-score game, and Texas had to ice it late in that game, and TCU is a backup quarterback out there. Iowa State, has it feels like it's going to have that opportunity on Saturday night. Personnel advantage obviously goes Texas' way, but this is a, a collective in Iowa State, a program that's had some success against Texas. They will not be intimidated. Now, we saw a team in KU go in there and beat them, but this feels like the big moment because – Texas, man, if they win this one, they get to go back home and try to fight off Texas Tech. 
and this is the last road challenge. This is their last road Big 12 game. It's exciting stuff. It's really exciting stuff. And I, I like I like Iowa State plus seven and a half. If you were to tell me, hey man, like just as a game in general, where are you going? I'm usually not a huge feels vibes person. I kind of go with the matchups and, and what I like. This one to me though has the feel of a close game because that's what Texas has been doing. Now, hey, might they put their foot up Iowa State's ass and run them out of the building? Maybe, but have they been doing that recently? Not for four quarters. And so that's why I think Iowa State plus seven and a half is the right play. And this feels, it's not a trap game, guys. It's not a trap game. Iowa State's a good football team. Texas is better. But, I mean, Matt Campbell, this they, they kind of thrive in spots like this, right? They kind of thrive as the underdog. And they are excited. That, that fan base, man. Fireball will be flowing. Fireball and Bush Light going to be active, activated on Saturday night. I cannot wait for that. Big 12 best bets coming out on Saturday morning. Make sure you are locked in for those. Owen oh, six week last week, but guess what? Despite that, we are still 34 and 25 on the season. That gets us to our Saturday seven, the seven biggest games outside of the Big 12 conference coming up for you all this weekend. Let's get after it. All right, at one o'clock on ESPN Plus, App State, JMU, College Game Day is going. Good to see that. So shout out to the Dukes. They got the uh, the ruling did not go their way, but still shout out to them regardless. Uh, 1.30 on the Pac-12 Network, it's Utah and Arizona. Arizona at home as a slight favorite. They uh, they played with fire last week. It feels like a spot Utah could come up big, and they're kind of due for a big win, Utah. But they've been playing a really difficult schedule. 2.30 on CBS, Georgia and Tennessee. Can Tennessee recover and lick their wounds after the one-way traffic they experienced against the Missouri Tigers last week. 2.30 on ABC, UCLA and USC. It sounds like it's Chip Kelly's last game as coach at UCLA. UNLV and Air Force at 2.30 on CBS Sports Network. I put three S's in there. Obviously a huge contest because this will decide really the Mountain West, a uh, big part of that race. And these are probably the two best. On ABC, I believe, it's UNC and Clemson. This will have impacts on the ACC title race. And then 6.30 on ABC, it's the big one, Washington and Oregon State. The Beavs, a chance to knock Washington, maybe not out of the Pac-12, or maybe out of the playoff race. Um, they'll still be there as well, too. But uh, I think also kind of a chance here for Oregon State to make a big statement clearly here as well. All right, folks, that will do it for today's show. Make sure you're back on Saturday slash Sunday. We have a big result on Saturday night. You'll be hearing from us here. If not, you'll be hearing from us uh, on the Sunday show as well. Once again, folks, thanks for watching, and uh, we'll catch you next time.